0: Uh, I just want to start here with a thing that I mentioned last week, but I got so messed up in putting the wrong slide in the wrong place. I actually forgot why I put it there. So we want to again announce. It says in your on ramp two, and something you should know is we've hired two new pastoral staff. Uh, one of them just sang. Thank you, Michael Deverell, very much. And the other one is right there, who didn't sing. And we praise God that Michael sang. We praise God that Chris didn't sing. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, c Dub. you're a great singer. Uh, but they are, they are going to be the, the people that are going to be in charge of the south site. You know, if you're new to Hope, what we're doing is we're uh, in a church plant. We've been all about church planting. We are a church plant. We want to start as many churches as we possibly can. And In the fall, we're going to start another site. We're calling it a site this time instead of a church plant because it's going to kind of do one of these over time as opposed to being right away. And so uh, we'll have, they'll be on our staff, there'll be one budget, uh, one elder team, one overseer team, one leadership team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you with many children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, they are going to be the, the site staff for that. One of the things that I forgot to mention last week is that um, we would like uh, all of our pastoral staff to be on the overseer team, the elder team here at Hope. And I thought, and I helped write the Constitution, shows you how bad I am, I thought that past pastors were automatically on, and it turns out that only the senior pastor is automatically on. So with that said, we have to take a vote on that. And so we're, I'm uh, announcing today a, a congregational meeting in two weeks to vote on that matter, and next week after the service in the fireside room, which will be uh, air conditioned, we'll have a a dialogue about having Michael be on the overseer team, uh, elder here at Hope Community Church, and so if you have any questions about that, feel free to email me or the whole overseer team at ot at hopecc.com with any questions you have about that, so in two weeks we'll vote, and next week we'll have a dialogue about it, so any questions about that, good, thank you. Now, on to the good stuff. Who was born in 1979? Anybody, not born then, I mean alive, kicking, breathing. Excellent. It was 1979. Jimmy Carter was president. Three Mile Island accident happened. The year that Ford Motor Company ruined the Mustang. It took 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) The worst part is I owned one. They did fix it. It rocks now, man. We went by one yesterday. It was awesome. Uh, a guy by the name of Ayatollah Khomeini came on the scene and uh, took hostages in Iran, which eventually led to Carter being out of the presidency. The uh, movie of the year that year was The Deer Hunter. Probably if, you, if you've seen that movie, it's a very shocking movie about the Vietnam War and the effect that it had on people. Uh, that was 78? The movie was 78, it won the Academy Award in 79. Ha, <laughs> gotcha! <laughs> I got it on the internet, it's gotta be true. What are you doing, Jesse, you're messing me up. And probably the greatest boxer of all time announced his first retirement, came back, and then, you know, it's one of those deals where they come out of retirement, just should never have done it. But Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, as many of us know him, that was, those are the days when boxing was king. You guys remember that? The six of you who raised your hand who were alive in 1979. (laughs) Remember, boxing was like on TV and you could watch it and everybody would watch it. Muhammad, oh, it was fantastic. But probably the most important event in 1979 was uh, a rock band put out an excellent album by the name of Pat Travers Band. Anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Pat Travers Band, 1979, came out with a live album called Go For What You Know. No one? Oh my gosh! I was initiated into this on my first canoe trip to the Boundary Waters, uh, and, and I remember sitting in the back of this GTO. Anyone? Cool car. Yeah, thank you. And and we were we were riding back from Boundary Waters, going about well more than we should have been going on these dirt roads. It was just and they, this band was playing on the on the uh, speakers, and of course you had the big speakers, and it was 70s rock and roll, and. Uh, he put out this album, and I, I, I bought this album, album, metal, or, or excuse me, uh, plastic, vinyl, big thing. I wore this thing out. I played this thing all the time. Pat Travers Band Live, Go For What You Know. He had a song in this that I have not heard since uh, my record player broke, which was probably 15 years ago. I have not heard this song, and I just was listening to Jack FM, not to give them a shameless plug, but for all of us old guys, that's a great station. And they played this song from Jack. My, David was in the car with me. I said, Dude, you got to listen to this song. It's the best song. I turned it up, of course, to 1979 volume. And we listened to this song. And just so you know what your pastor used to rock out to, we're going to play it here for you, all right? <laughs> all right, once you hit that thing, I know, I know. Dude, I could lip sync like a sermon sometime. That'd be great. Get somebody else's sermon. Now, you're thinking, that was interesting. Uh, By the way, he's one of those guys that I checked him out. He's still rocking. Look at it, 52. He's still rocking. He looks like death warmed over there, but he's still rocking. Rock on, Pat Travers, baby. Now, why am I showing you that whole thing? We're in a series right now on the Gospel of John. The first four chapters of the Gospel of John have been wonderful. I mean, I have really enjoyed them. Everything's going to shift today. From here on to the end of the book, Things are going to shift. If you noticed in that song, he, this guy is looking for a fight, right? If I find my girl and she's with another guy, boom, boom, out go the lights. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's something, you know, it uh, makes you want to fight. Today, today starts as we look at the Gospel of John where Jesus coming on the scene is no longer just kind of cool. Jesus coming on the scene as of today, John chapter 5, everything shifts. And, and I love this, man. I've been reading John for, I don't know, since I was uh, 18. So that's four years ago. That uh, And I, I really picked up something new here. Everything changes as of John chapter 5. Jesus is going to do something today. And I'm now convinced... That Jesus orchestrates it. Jesus goes out looking for a fight. To quote one of my uh, favorite guys on this, uh, he says, uh, G- Campbell Morgan says, on the human level, let I me mean, back up, go, go through two. I want to come back to that one. Go one more. There we go. Uh, on the human level, what Jesus did that day and what he said that day cost him his life. This is the beginning of when people started to hate Jesus Christ. So this is a radical event we're going to look at today. Back up one there, uh, BJ. This is what's happening here. Right now we're in a section uh, from chapter 5. You can see all the way through, basically through chapter 10, where people are going to start accusing Jesus of all kinds of things, of being a Sabbath breaker. That's what we're going to find out today, of being a blasphemer, as a deceiver. He's demon-possessed. People said that about the Christ, that he was an illegitimate birth, he was a Samaritan, a sinner, he was, a, he was crazy, he was a criminal. You're going to see all these kind of things in the upcoming weeks that we're in the Gospel of John, and it starts today, but I'm convinced that it starts because Jesus went looking for it, to quote my other favorite guy and theologian, William Wallace, <laughs> where are you going, William? I'm going to pick a fight. Well, we didn't get dressed for nothing. Isn't that a great line? Great series from Braveheart. That's what Jesus is going to be doing. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to John chapter 5. If you've got a, the, uh, There's no insert today. Uh, if you just want to follow on the screen or if you want to get one of those little booklets, that's totally fine. Open it up to John chapter 5. We're going to see a healing at a pool that looks just innocent, but Jesus does it, and he does it in such a way that it is picking a fight. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1 says sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Okay, now here's the site. You're going up to a feast. They don't say which one. Some scholars think it was the Passover. If it was the Passover, in the book of John, you have four Passovers. We're not sure. It uh, could, be, could be that this was just some other big feast and we only have three. It's, it's not exactly clear. Remember, we said way back in the introduction, Gospel of John is how we know that Jesus' ministry was probably three years long because he lists out these big feasts. Possibly was. Doesn't matter. It was a big feast. There were a lot of people. And you'd walk by this place... Where there'd be all these lame, all these blind, all these paralyzed. Think of that now. I mean, it's one thing when you're just walking by and you see someone who's, who's perhaps begging for money or something. And they're obviously blind or, or lame or whatever. But just think of this area where there's just tons of people like that. Everybody would have known what this area was. Now, if you have, anybody got a King James Bible with them? Anybody got a King Jimmy? Nobody. So there is, oh, wait, wait, oh, I saw that. Thank you very much. You're the only one who has verse 4 in your Bible. The rest of us, it's a footnote. Because <laughs> it probably was added later. Uh, which, is, which is fine. I mean, it, John didn't probably write it. It was probably added later. But it just gives us a little historical. Some people didn't know what was going on. And so he adds this verse 4. Look at this. It's, it says, the little note says in the New International Version, some less important manuscripts. Sorry about the King Jimmy There's Some less important manuscripts. It says, no, no, I mean, manuscripts were... The, the, the original writings. And the King Jimmy just took it and put it in. Other people put it in a footnote. No, no offense there. No, none, none meant at least. Uh, paralyzed from that where then they put the dash. And this would have been included. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. That, that wasn't in the original. That was added later or was added as part of the um, historical record as it went on. Okay, now go to verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now think about that for a second. I'm 41. 38 of my 41 years, ever since I was three, be an invalid. That's a long time. He's a complete invalid. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him an amazing question. And the question is, do you want to get well? Now you think that's a slam dunk, right? Do you want to get well? Well, of course I want to get well. Not necessarily. One scholar wrote that an Eastern beggar often loses a good thing by being cured of his disease. In other words, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Or do you like lying here? Does it work for you? Does your enablement allow you to be something for other people to have pity on you? Or, you know, are you just going to use that thing in your life all the time so you have an excuse for whatever? Do you want to get well? It's not a slam dunk question. William Barclay has said this. He says, the first essential towards receiving the power of Jesus in, excuse me, in us, uh, in us, I must have mistyped this. The first essential towards receiving the power of Jesus is for us the intense desire for it. Jesus comes to us and says, Do you really want to be changed? If in our inmost hearts we are well content to stay as we are, there can be no change for us. The desire for the better things must be surging in our hearts. Do you hear that? Jesus just doesn't come by and heal the guy. He asks him, Do you want to get well? I'm going to ask you this morning. Whatever you came here this morning for, we're going to have communion in a little while and you'll be able to come forward and people will pray for you and you'll ask them that. But the major question is, do you really want to get well? Do you really want Jesus Christ to do something for you or is this thing just juicy enough so that you can use as an excuse or you can use it as something that all people should have pity on me or whatever? Look at the man's response. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So the idea was, and it was, a, it was a, not, a, not a Jewish custom by any stretch of the imagination, it was for, really a pagan custom where they think that, all right, uh, when, when, when I come down and if I just trust in this mysterious kind of superstitious thing and I get into the water, if I'm the first one and the water stirs, then I will be healed. Now just think about that for a second. He's standing face to face. He doesn't know it. He he calls him sir. He doesn't call him Jesus. He just says sir. But he's standing face to face with the guy who created him. The guy who knows every part. All right? A goes to B, goes to C. I know how it all works. He could touch it and change it. He could touch it and heal it. And he says, well, dude, if you just wait here and then throw me in, when the water's stirred, then I could be healed. Now, oftentimes in Jesus' experience, he waits for them to show some evidence of faith. This guy has absolutely no faith whatsoever in Christ. John Calvin said about this guy, he says, This sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more than he convinces, that he is convinced in his own mind. In other words do you want to get well, he doesn't just say, oh, yes, I do. Can you heal me? He doesn't say that. He says, well, I know the way that this works, and the, work, the way this works is I get thrown in. And it's like when you ask God, God, I really want this job. God, can you just get me that job, and then I'll be happy. And God might say, whoa, you know what? I, I know the road to happiness, and I can watch down your life with that job, and that job will lead you to unhappiness. And immorality, perhaps. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give you the job. And you're, you're furious with God. Do you pray the problem or do you pray the solution to God? This guy prays the problem. And yet Jesus, this time, he heals him anyway. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and Walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. No evidence of faith. This guy doesn't even know who Jesus Christ is. We're going to see that in just a second. He doesn't even know who he is. Jesus comes by and heals him. Now, it's a cool story, and I think it's a sign of the Christ who is. But the major point of the story is how Jesus does it. He says to him, Get up, but then what does he tell him to do? Pick up your mat and walk. Now that is where I think Jesus is picking a fight. Look at verse, look at the second half of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Here's this dude who's been lying there. He's been throwing nickels at him, you know, for, for years. He's walking now, but he's carrying his mat. Whoa, we don't carry our mats on a Sabbath. Totally missed the point, right? Jesus doesn't just say, get up, be healed. He says, pick up your mat and walk. He's picking a fight. But he replied... The guy replies, hey, hey, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. Aha! So it's not your fault, it's the guy who healed you's fault. We're not worried about the healing thing. That's okay to do on the Sabbath. But picking up the mat thing, not okay to do on the Sabbath. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? <laughs> didn't say anything about the healing. Who's the guy that told you to pick up your mat? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. It was a drive-by healing. <laughs> seriously, for Jesus had slipped into the crowd he just you want to get healed he says, I-, I want to get in the water he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk poof, he slips into the crowd verse 14 later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So he identifies himself and he tells him, guess what? This healing thing, there's more than that. You need to turn. You need to turn from a life of sin. It doesn't say it explicitly here, but you need to turn to me. He identifies himself. This conversation, uh, we have to read a little bit between the white spaces because he only says here, uh, uh, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. But the guy then knows who Jesus Christ is. He somehow identifies himself to him. We don't see it in the dialogue, but it's somehow there. Jesus identifies himself to this man. I'm convinced he does that because the Jews wanted to know who did it, and the guy didn't know. So Jesus goes back and says, in compassion for the man, you know, I'm not just going to heal you. I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to give you a path to a better life. That's not just going to involve you being able to walk. The man went away then and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, what things? Telling people to pick up their mat? The Jews persecuted him. Now, we're going to spend the next couple weeks look at why Jesus does this. In fact, it's going to launch all the way through at least chapter 10, but for sure in the next couple weeks. Jesus has a lot to say, Jesus has a lot to say about people who are caught up in religion and are caught up in systems and who have no passion for the kingdom of God and what's really happening. I love the fact, I love the fact that we meet in an old church. I love the fact that people have been singing praise in this place for 112 years, right? Is that my math right? 111 years. That's a wonderful thing. I think that's a, a thing we need to look into is the, is the faith of our fathers, so to speak, and, and what they thought about. But man, as soon as the faith of our fathers, which is a vital faith, becomes dead orthodoxy to us, we're done. You're done. Once your relationship with this book becomes a series of propositions that you believe or don't believe and stops being about meeting face-to-face the creator of the universe and, and, and Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Once it stops doing that, you become just like these guys. Jesus has a lot to say about people like that. And it's scary. If you're at all involved... In wanting to know Jesus Christ, this is the trap that the enemy of our souls wants you to fall into. It's called religion. It's why I don't even like to use the word Christian anymore. Because it doesn't mean anything. I ask people, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Not what denomination you are? I don't care. I don't, I've got problems with some denominations. I've got some with my own denomination. That's not the point. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If he does something that that blows your theological system away, let's see, is there something wrong with Jesus or your theological system? I know the answer. It's your theological system. These guys, it's not in the scripture anywhere about, about not picking up a mat, but it was the whole concept that on the Sabbath God rested so we should rest, so therefore I need to write 500 rules about what it means to rest. And they had them. They had rules upon rules upon rules, and one of which was you could not pick up your mat and walk. They missed a guy who's been lame for 38 years because they're so caught up in the rules. Do not miss that. That is a major thing, and we do it all the time. We miss God because he doesn't quite fit into our theological system. Man, when you read this word, just let it say what it says. Let it say what it says. And, and, and if it says something that kind of shocks you, good. If Christ comes and shows you to himself as something that doesn't quite fit, good. I've been married to my wife for 18 years, and there are still days where there's new things I discover about her, and I say, wait a minute. That's not quite right. Remember when we got married, there are these rules, and you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to fit in one of these little boxes and stop it. No, I say, that is a wonderful, quirky thing about you I did not know. <laughs> and, and I love that. If, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus like that, where you're actually meeting Him and enjoying Him and finding out new things about Him and letting Him know new things about you, you just, you got religion. Now, let me close with this. Two questions for you. The first one is the very question that Jesus asked the man Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That's a question that convicts me every time I come to Jesus Christ and ask Him to change me from the inside out on some area of my life that I'm not pleased with. And I feel back like Him saying, Well, do you really want to get rid of that? You're just kind of farting around with it. Do you really want to get rid of that? you want to get well? Secondly, are you you constantly, are you daily spending time with Jesus in some way, shape, or form through reading his word in prayer? And I don't care if that looks like a quiet time in the traditional sense, or if you like to Ride around in, in, in on a motorcycle and shout out, I don't care. Somehow you're relating with the Lord in a way that it's not dead orthodoxy, but you're licking your fingers and you're sticking them in the outlet of God and getting to know him better. Or is that the kind of relationship you have? Believe me, it's a dangerous slippery slope to fall into bitterness and let religiosity choke out any passion you had for God. It is a danger. We're going to see that throughout the rest of the gospel of John. My if you're here this morning, it made you nervous. I don't at all apologize for that because it makes me nervous. It should make you nervous. You should be due diligence. Like the, like the founders of our country said, you could quote this well, Jay, eternal is the is the price of freedom. If you don't have vigilance on this area, you will slip into legalism, you will slip into rules, you'll slip into religion. Don't let that happen. Let's pray together. Oh God, I, 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 uh, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you in the little things. I don't want to miss you in the little flowers that are coming up for spring. I don't want to miss you in my struggles. I don't want to miss you in my relationships. Lord, I don't want to miss you when you're doing work in people's lives. And the Pharisees, these religious rulers of the day, were face to face with you and they missed you. Oh God, would you protect us from that? Would you protect us from being people who have to make everything fit in the way we think? Would you blow us away with the way you think? With your kingdom? Lord, I pray for people this morning who are going through a struggle. Perhaps it's a wrestling with the sin area in their life. Maybe it's an intellectual area. Maybe it's an area that they're having a very hard time trusting you. And you're smiling at them this morning, looking at them saying, do you want to get well? Oh, God. Would you allowing them something to birth, even as we worship and come to the table this morning? Would you allow something to birth within them And says, I'll give everything for that. I'll give everything to be well. I'll give everything to have a vital relationship with you. And then, Lord God, would you give us the freedom to let you do it the way you want to do it? We want to be thrown in the pool, and you want to just tell us to get up. So, the Holy Spirit, we give you freedom this morning to do what you want to do in our lives, even through the remainder of our time together. Pray especially for this youth group as they're coming up to minister. I just pray, God, you'd stretch them. They'd see you in ways that that are going to blow them away, change them, God, from the inside out. Lord, I pray for those of us who are struggling with religiosity. Maybe we wandered in this morning because that's what good Christians do. They go to church on Sunday morning. God, would you just, in every one of us, take those areas where we've become religious, we've become pharisaical. Would you take those areas, God, and and blow us away? Do something in our lives that causes us to only hang on to you and not on to systems. Not on propositional truth alone, but on you. And so, Lord, I invite you to come into this room. Lord, there are people in this room right now that need healing. Perhaps even physical healing. Jesus, you can do that. You can do that even as we worship. You have the power to do that. Would you just come in this room and do your work, whatever it will, you will, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.